This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Wednesday, October 9th, 2019. On this day in 1995, a westbound Amtrak train careened off the rails in Arizona and dropped a gut-wrenching 30 feet into a gully. Someone had inverted the railway tracks a mere four inches, a small but deadly act of sabotage. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest hosts, Lance Reensterna and Tim Polari. They host the crime podcasts Missing Maura Murray, Crawl Space, and Empty Frames. Hey everyone, I'm Lance. And I'm Tim. Thanks for having us. Lance and Tim are here to discuss some of the historical aspects of the infamous Palo Verde derailment, while I'll cover the narrative. The Palo Verde derailment still haunts the city of Palo Verde, Arizona. In the 24 years since the crash, no act of domestic terror has compared to the vicious attack. That's right, Lance. And although, as we discover, it wasn't the first time this kind of terrorism was used to instill fear in those traveling west. That's true. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode features discussion of murder and domestic terrorism. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Now let's go back to the Arizona desert, about 60 miles southwest of Phoenix, on October 9, 1995, in the wee hours of the morning. The Amtrak train thundered through the Arizona desert, right on schedule. As far as the conductor was concerned, it was a routine trip bound for Los Angeles. They'd arrive in around nine hours. The train cruised along at 50 miles an hour. The morning sun had yet to creep over the horizon. In the middle of nowhere, any passenger still awake could have looked out the window and seen a blanket of stars. Without warning, the train hit a curve in the track, then flew off the rails. The massive train tipped over, careening into a ravine. It happened too quickly for anyone inside the train to react. They were helpless as the windows shattered and the passenger cars banged against boulders. 
Luggage tumbled from the overhead compartments and flew out the window. By the time the train came to a stop, bags littered the surrounding desert. Almost every passenger was seriously hurt, some cradling broken bones. It was a scene of broken glass and twisted metal. As the dust settled, the passengers reeled. Some tried to leave the train cars, while others found themselves pinned inside. Neil Halford, a shaggy-haired, broad-shouldered man in his late 20s, sat in the back of one of the few cars left intact, which stalled in total darkness on the broken train track. Without air conditioning, the train grew hot, and Neil made his way out of the car for air while they waited for police. As he looked across the desert, something caught his eye, a piece of folded paper lodged under a rock near the crash. Curious, Neil grabbed it. Its contents turned his face white. The note railed against the government and police. It lambasted the ATF's involvement in the standoffs at Waco, Texas and Ruby Ridge, Idaho. Both of these incidents had resulted in the deaths of religious extremists. The letters also condemned police corruption, specifically mentioning one local police officer benefiting from drug money kickbacks. The writer, or writers, of the letter had signed it Sons of the Gestapo. Neil kept the letter for police, who soon began descending on the horrific scene. Eight of the train cars had derailed. Four had tumbled off the side of a bridge 30 feet down a ravine. The two engines had separated from the rest of the train, which was strewn helter-skelter across the track. In addition to the bevy of injured passengers amongst the wreckage, police found the sole casualty of the disaster, 41-year-old train operator Mitchell Bates. At the time of his death, he had been a loyal Amtrak employee for 20 years. Bates was removed from the scene and transported to the local hospital, along with dozens of passengers. 78 people were injured, a handful of them in critical condition. But the situation only grew darker when Neil handed police the letter he'd found. In the subsequent hours, Neil would find an identical copy of the letter that took responsibility for the crash, and police would find two more. All four copies of the letter were found weighted down by small rocks in the immediate vicinity of the crash site. They had clearly been planted by someone who knew where the train would derail. Police began to survey the scene, anxious to discover what could have caused the train to derail. They soon found their answer. 29 railroad spikes had been removed from the rails just as the track curved around a ravine. Furthermore, one of the tracks had been pushed about four inches inward. It was enough to derail the train, but too slight to interrupt the electrical connection in the tracks. In other words, the train operators would have no indication that the track ahead had been tampered with. Coupled with the politically charged notes, it quickly became clear that this was an act of sabotage, plain and simple. 
The FBI was called in and quickly concluded that the person responsible would need to have an excellent knowledge of trains to pull this off so seamlessly. They initially wondered if it could have been a disgruntled employee. But soon, they would find evidence to suggest the murderous attacker or attackers were likely domestic terrorists. In a moment, police realized the full scope of the Amtrak attack. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Now back to the story. In the early morning of October 9th, 1995, an Amtrak train traveling from Miami to Los Angeles derailed near Palo Verde, Arizona, 60 miles from Phoenix. The police and FBI quickly discovered the tracks had been tampered with. This fatal train accident was an act of sabotage. Lance and Tim are here to help discuss the details and historical impact of this deadly attack. Thanks so much, Vanessa. We're happy to be here. Yeah, and initially, police and the FBI believed that whoever had derailed the Amtrak must have had knowledge of trains based on the precision used to sabotage the tracks. Only someone familiar with trains would know that something as simple as removing a few stakes and budging one track four inches inward could derail an entire train. But as police continued to look into the wreck, it soon became apparent that there was another way the perpetrators could have known how to compromise the track. Tim, I'm going to go back in history here a little bit. In 1939, in the Nevada desert, another passenger train had careened off the tracks, killing 24 passengers and injuring over 100 others. The 1939 train had been sabotaged just ahead of the bridge, maximizing the damage done to the train cars. And this bore an eerie resemblance to the 1995 train crash, which also derailed ahead of a bridge. But the similarities didn't stop there, Lance. This 1939 Nevada crash had also been caused by a train track being moved four inches inward, enough to keep the electric current running through the tracks, but still cause a deadly wreck. So frustrating because despite months of investigation, the 1939 Nevada derailment case was never solved, and the motives for the wreck still remain a mystery. It seems as though the 1995 saboteurs were working to mirror this infamous crash, though we can't be sure. Police worked to discover who the sons of Gestapo were, but as the weeks went on, their investigation revealed surprisingly little. But there was one lead, the corrupt police officer hinted at in the letters. The FBI worked to discover who this police officer might be in the hopes that it could give them a clue as to who may have written the letter, but the lead never panned out. Either the writers were ill-informed and grasping at straws, or the police were covering up the crimes of their own. The former assumption seemed far more likely. The Sons of Gestapo were never confirmed to be an organized militia group, and no further attacks were ever linked to the group. And as time went on, police began to wonder if, perhaps, the letters were meant to be intentionally misleading. The writer may have hoped to lead police on a wild goose chase, searching for an extremist group that never existed in the first place. 
Well, whatever their intentions, their methods worked. Police have never arrested anyone in connection to the attack, and the case remains open to this day. Police still hope to solve the case, so as long as the terrorists are at large, they could strike again. They have blood on their hands and deserve to be brought to justice. It has now been 24 years since the Amtrak train derailed and spilled over the side of a bridge, plunging 30 feet into the ravine. In the years since, this has become one of Arizona's most infamous unsolved mysteries. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again to Lance and Tim for joining me today. Thanks so much for having us, Vanessa. Thanks, Vanessa. And you can find our podcasts, Missing More Murray, Crawl Space, and Empty Frames on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Today in True Crime for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Paul Mahler, Maggie Admire, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Aaron Lan. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 